welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, hey, hey. What's up, everybody? New Knock On Podcast post-ATA show. So, podcast 259. Man, oh man, it's been uh, an unbelievable five, six days. Five or six, I think. Yep, somewhere in there. Hard to even explain what all's happened. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be kind of a an interesting one to navigate because... I'm coming off a week that was insane with the response and how everything went at the ATA show and how everyone accepted the introduction of the first knock-on nation model, the PSE Evo NTN, short for nation model. Uh, I'm not going to make this podcast all about that, so... It's hard. That's what I'm saying. It's hard for me to to navigate. I don't want it to be all about that. But the reality is, what's going on right now is uh, there's so much interest and questions about that. And it was pretty awesome to be part of uh, the biggest ATA launch that PSE has ever had. And that's obviously because of all of you out there. So uh, from Sharon and I and everybody here at Knock On, thank you so much. It was just surreal, honestly. I don't even know how to explain it as I'm kind of each day that passes here, I'm getting uh, the information on how the response has been so far from dealers and the outpour of people that are calling dealers and wanting to see the new bows. So I guess the main to answer a few questions, um, one of them being when are they going to be available Uh just today I signed off on approval, so they are uh, officially starting to get uh, cut in machines today at the PSE factory. So uh, fingers crossed all things go in the right direction. They're looking at being able to have products available uh, mid to late February is the estimation i'm saying late february but these guys have surprised me in the past with how quick they can get stuff out so it's going to be pretty awesome uh the bow is based off one of the first model pses that i got and shot and i got several didn't have a tremendous amount of time to to play around with them but a few things stood out right away and Certainly, I wanted to make a few changes to things that I feel like just based on years of experience that I think would help those models a little bit, especially if I look at how I traditionally set up equipment and how I know I'm going to personally run my own accessories on that equipment. And so I was able to give that feedback and they were able to make some changes to it and have them literally delivered to the show if you didn't watch uh the live feeds there's several you know i'm sure if you googled it you'd be able to look up um 
you know, John Dudley PSE ATA or something like that. And you'd be able to find some of those live feeds. I did do a podcast with, with Bo Junkie immediately following. I also did uh, a kind of a live podcast or a live cast with Lancaster. And then they're also going to pull that audio to do a, to connect onto a podcast too, where I talk about a lot of, you know, the features and um, definitely don't want to make this podcast, you know, a big selling point podcast. Um, but I can tell you that you can go out there and look at some of that stuff and see it firsthand. And obviously if you're following us on our social media, you're going to be able to see that as well. But it had an incredible amount of response and the model is 33 inches axle to axle with a seven inch brace height. Uh, seven inches has always been my sweet spot for a brace height. I feel like the forgiveness of that brace height, um, for a magnitude of draw lengths has, um, a pretty important role versus what types of speeds you may gain by shortening the brace height. Some, um, from, someone like myself that had a target background, but also someone that wants a forgiving hunting setup and wants the ability to, to shoot with heavier clothing and not have to worry about arm interference. Um, I just really like that brace height. So it fits really, really well. There's a ton of questions out there about price. Um, it looks like the, the retail price or so looks like it's going to come in around 1199 for this aluminum model, uh, which is the Evo NTN. There's also a Carbon Stealth Mach 1 knock-on version. Uh, both of them are going to be available with uh, Sika Subalpine limbs and a green drab riser that matches that Pantone. Uh, that's going to you know be... Uh, kind of clear coated with with a a double coating of a matte finish which I think people are going to really like I don't really know how to explain much more about the model uh, without going into full detail I can tell you that there's definitely going to be some bow builds coming up very soon there's going to be some you know extensive videos showing you that so if you want to see the model specifically you'll be able to navigate that through some of the videos those are going to start next week um and also at that same time we're going to start uh kind of kicking off some segments focused on uh cooking like knock to fork style um just there's always been questions about how i cook it's simple it's basic but i am going to focus attention on showing you exactly what I do for each of those types of meals. And then we'll be able to uh, hopefully become better on the grill as a team and then move forward and try to progress into some some things that are a little bit, um, I don't know, more complex. But for now, we're going to start with some of the basics that I use for wild game cooking and some of the basics that I use for, you know, weekly cooking with my family and yeah we're going to combine it all with bow builds during the day uh cooking at night podcasting in between so uh i look forward to bringing all that to you guys there's also been a lot of questions lately about uh the TAC events so last year at the TAC that we did in uh park city 
we had a big knock-on experience that was a limited number of slots that we had blocked out. Um, and then there was a knock-on range. So people shot the knock-on range all weekend, but there was kind of a separate portion of that that was limited to like the first, I think, two hours of the range. That was a knock-on experience where that was kind of a little bit more interactive, and I shot with, with each of those groups through the range. Um, as we're moving forward, we have committed to several TAC events that we're going to be at. Um, the first, I think the first one's in Texas. Um, and then the second one, I think, is Pennsylvania. Then we have Colorado. Then we have Big Sky. Then we have uh, Utah to finish it off. And for each of those TACs, we are going to have a knock-on range. Um, well, we're not going to have a knock-on range at Big Sky. Big Sky, I'll be there, but there are limitations to how many ranges they can have on that mountain. So there won't be a knock-on range. I'll be on the Sika range for that. But our plans are to make uh, a better overall experience for the masses. So we're going to, I'm going to continually try to be on the courses and kind of roam around on the knock-on courses throughout the weekend at different times. But we're also going to make a better destination place for people to come and hang out with ourselves and our sponsors. And we're going to really focus on doing some free educational segments uh, there and have the ability to to work on some set, some setups and be able to, you know, help do a little bit of coaching on the side and things like that. Uh, we will try to coordinate a bigger style event. Um, at one of for one of the evenings or even one of the days during lunchtime uh, for really anybody that's part of the knock on nation to come and be part of that and then you know I, I don't have specifics on it because i'm i'm waiting for for ourselves and some of our our partners like black rifle and yeti and sika and and pse and traeger we're all going to be kind of coordinating coordinating together how we want to give just a really cool experience for everybody at those events. Um, so I'll be doing my best to take part with, with everybody at those events rather than just have one, well, one two hour slot that's specific to only 80 or a hundred people. We're going to try to be there for everybody that's uh, taking part with the range, but there's going to be some, some things to come down the road to clarify our kind of where we're going to be located and all those types of things sometime in the near future i was talking with sean at tack and he's he's going to come on the podcast and talk with everybody about you know if you haven't done a tack event before we're just going to talk about some of the things that you need to know some of the things that'll make them flow a little bit smoother for you and also make sure that you're able to to be on your course and uh, be shooting on time. Because if you haven't gone to a tack event and you just show up and you're you're there, you know, ten minutes before your shooting time, a lot of a lot of people struggle to make it happen because you know you kind of need to go register and sign the waiver, and then at the tack you really do have to transport from the main vendor area to those ranges which takes time 
And if I'm honest, uh, on the first ones I did, I was not giving myself enough time to make all that happen. So we're going to talk through some of those things in the near future with Sean, and I think it'll clarify a lot of that. One of the other things I wanted to say, too, is a lot of the questions that I'm seeing come through, especially on today's post where I said, feel free to ask questions, um, and I did say they don't have to be bow-related, but there's a tremendous amount now that are bow-related, and they are a lot that are very very related to PSE in specific, and people asking me certain things about those. Um, What you need to remember is we're kind of all going to be in this new venture together. Although I'm familiar with them and through the years I've shot their flagship bow, which I always try to shoot everybody's flagship bow on my own just so I understand what the majority of archers out there are shooting. There's a lot of models that are not the flagship bow that I'm just not going to have the familiarity with it. So... I'm going to have to learn this whole line just as much as anyone else out there who is new to it and who is, you know, kind of looking deeper into this brand. I know that they're capable of making the absolute best bow that we want, no question. I'm confident in the bow that's out right now. I really like it. I've shot it every single day I've been home. I've been at the range shooting shoots awesome i've set up a couple now all of them have have set up and tuned the same and the amount of people that especially now that i know that are that also are shooting pscs and coming forward and saying you know this is what i shoot and and i've you know i feel like they've always been underrated you know i'm just strongly agreeing with that but at the same sense i don't have this vast product knowledge with PSEs like I did with Hoyt to where I was there for 12 years and saw bows early and then also knew all the details about the bows before they came out. That's something that's going to only happen with time. But for now, I've got to kind of take a seat in the front row of this class and start to learn all this stuff and, and honestly make mistakes have to ask why, have to get things explained to me more in depth. And I'm hoping that if I document that the right way, it's going to help everybody out there grow, especially uh, people that are in archery shops that are, you know, listening to these podcasts as ways to further their education as a, as a tech behind the counter. Uh, I'm hoping that as I'm green and a rookie in some of this and going through it again, because that is how I'm going to attack it. Even if I do feel like I know how to disassemble these things fully. And and even though I feel like I know the ins and outs to compound bows, um, I'm going to actually take a step back and, you know, tell PSE like, Hey, I want to, I want you to treat me like I'm a, a brand new guy that started working in an archery shop and, and needs to know how to work on your product for the first time. And, really get some of those PSE 101 type things under my belt. And as I do that, I'm going to do my best to document it to where you can choose to do that with me or not. And I guess for those of you out there who aren't PSE people, just 
keep in mind, you know, I am and always will be open-minded to all brands. Uh, certainly, I feel that there's a, a big need for especially the top three um, brands out there with PSC, Matthews, and Hoyt to remain healthy as a company and um, just continue to make quality products uh, within the USA with these things and make sure the the bow hunting and archery market stays on track. And I feel like having those companies all healthy is really, really important to that. And I'm confident too that over the course of the years, I've been part of all, well, now I'm part of PSE, but in the past I've been with Matthews and also with Hoyt during times where they've had their biggest years ever. And then also times where there might've been struggle. So um, the good thing is when there's kind of a, I guess an earthquake in the, in the industry and there's a bunch of focus going to one direction and maybe a lot of hype going in one particular direction. I have no doubt that other companies are going to step up and other companies are going to bring forward things that are going to be better than what they had in the past. And they're probably going to, uh, do a better job at, you know, making sure that they get, um, market share back. So overall, I think it's a a healthy disruption. I think it'll shake the bushes a little bit. And in the end, the consumers are going to be the ones that have the, the best product coming back. And then also probably, um, probably the best education and, and refreshment of the industry. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, the ATA show has always been something, f- at least for me, that has continued to decline with maybe the importance of going to it. Because years and years ago, the ATA show always had products that were being launched at the show. And when that happened, and especially when multiple manufacturers launched new products only at the show, there was this mad rush to be there and to be the first to see it. Whereas in, well, for quite a long time, you know, probably not quite a decade, but for quite a long time, people already know what's coming out and there just isn't this big reveal at the ATA show and for this product because it came together so late in last minute and was literally delivered there uh, the day before the show and and honestly it was the day after the show before we were able to get the right decals on the limbs because they hadn't made it yet Um, a lot of the samples for the limb decals half of the decals came for part of the riser but other parts didn't come but by the second day they were all there and because there was this big introduction at the show there was this mad swarm there so I think as an industry either we have to start introducing product new at these events or we need to maybe change the the date of the event to where that that suits the manufacturers a little bit more and that that hype happened because I you know I'm confident that um, 
that as we move forward, having these big types of of buzzes and these huge launches like what I got to be part of this past weekend, I think those are really good for the industry. I think it's awesome that you see um, you see that kind of excitement. We get that kind of exposure on social media. I think it's overall good for the industry and it, it gets people uh, curious about it. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about where everything's going to go from here. Um, just going to go through a few questions here from the post that I made today and just kind of thumbing through them. Um, okay. So one of the questions that came up right here at the top is, is there a residual vibration or buzzing from the built-in stand sticks um, on the Evo Nation? Um, he said that was a problem with me with original uh, bow stands. So the one of the features that I've always wanted to incorporate into a bow, and I had brought it up to manufacturers in the past, but no one really saw the need for it, was a built-in stand a built-in kickstand um, and this one with this particular bow is actually built into the riser and there's going to be two simple sticks that you screw into the riser and it allows you to take your bow set the cam down lean it forward onto the sticks and it's going to be an awesome tool now for me the two areas where this is very practical um, which out on a out on a range it's probably not designed to just be out on a range because it's you know having these kickstands on your riser and trying to navigate like for example through attack course is probably not going to be favorable i'm not going to use it in that situation and on uneven and unbalanced ground it's it's not going to always work you know it's it's a fixed kickstand and it's in a fixed position for two applications. The first application is when I'm in the range. I shoot in the range all the time. I don't have a bow hook in my range, so I'm constantly either having to carry my bow down and back with me all the time or I'm laying it down on something. So for me to be able to just set my bow um, straight down on the floor and for those of you who practice, you know, in the backyard or practice out on your back patio, this is kind of what that is intended for. Um, it's not intended for being out in the field and out on the range or, you know, if you're, if you're on a field range or if you're in a hunting situation where you're on a bunch of uneven ground, it's really not designed for that. It's designed for flat ground, being in the range, and then more importantly for me is in a hunting blind i hunt out of blinds a lot and honestly it just gets to be a pain in the butt how many times i've forgot to bring you know a bendable bow hook or how many times i mount a, a swinging bow arm in the blind but then after you hang your bow on it a few times it the bushings start to wear out and starts to twist and then it's sagging down or you know, if you hunt out of like a muddy or a redneck blind, you realize that if you go to like swing a side window open while your bow's on that bow stand, you end up banging the glass into it, etc. So 
this just allows you to have your bow standing up in a blind and gives you the the ease to to be able to pick it up and shoot it so it's it has its it's has its design reasons um it's not you know it's not for being able to have a kickstand every single time you shoot your bow but with those stands on one of the things i will say is i was really surprised at with these things attaching right into the riser like that and especially being beneath the stabilizer you just don't feel the vibration going through them it's not like they're tuning forks um the stiffer the carbon the better off it's going to be and then also how those things tighten into the riser um i did a slow motion video the other day just kind of showing um how this new system reacts when the arrow launches it is super dead in the hand it's a quiet bow um and there is a little bit of flex within the kickstand sticks but it's definitely something that dissipates immediately it dissipates just as fast as as what string oscillation would naturally be in the system um, but it's certainly nothing you feel. I've shot mine with them on and then also shot them with them off. And when I did that, um, I just didn't see any type of difference. Certainly if they're loose or if you shoot a weaker carbon rod, you you could know that, notice that difference. But um, with the axle length of this Evo Nation, the sticks don't have to be very long they're only about 14 inches so there's just not enough length there for there to be flex in that carbon rod so hopefully that helps you man uh just looking at some other questions here uh this one is behind blue eyes 90 uh can you explain how your rest cable is ran um i've never seen a limb driven rest ran like that what is it connecting to so on my Hoyts and also um, on this particular new bow uh, I started running my my rest to the limb splitter um, on the Hoyts I had drilled out the limb splitter that was on there um, it was a plastic piece and it was shaped a little bit different than the PSE ones I was doing it and I thought it was working fine, but the Hoyt engineers told me not to do it because mainly because they knew how many of you would see it. And they also knew that they hadn't cycled that, um, that plastic piece with a hole drilled through it. Um, not to mention if other people drilled holes through it, they might drill it in different places, it, places in it, which would, kind of probably jeopardize the, the structural strength of it so I just stopped doing it and went back to putting it uh, directly to my axle what I will tell you is with a limb driven system you're taking that arrow rest that is loaded with the spring to where it's always up and it's up all the time if there's nothing forcing that down and so what happens is with the limb-driven style rest, you actually force your rest all the way down onto your riser and you pull the slack out of the cord that you have attached to that, to that launcher. 
and you know you tighten down the set screw so that that cord is tight and when it's tight the arrow rest is in the down position as you pull the bow back and the 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 limbs come closer together it lets the slack out of that that piece or that cord that cord length and the arrow rest comes up because it doesn't have anything pulling it down and then when you shoot as soon as the bow expands again it's pulling that rest down as it's adding tension to the rest cord now by going directly to the cable splitter it's been working awesome for me um, for two reasons one the cord length is shorter because the cord length shorter you don't have near the stretch that you do when you have a longer piece of material the other thing is on limbs driven style rests when people run into issues with those is when they have bows to where when the the bow is shot and the limbs are returning back to their um, static position when they're returning there sometimes those limbs travel past that you know it's almost like it's almost like shooting a, a you know a slingshot you can pull the you know you have the rock and there's no tension and then when you pull it back and shoot it that that um the holster travels forward you know it's essentially over travel it goes forward and then it comes back and that's what happens with your limbs too um, certain model limbs have way more limb travel than others some they just go up and down and they cancel really fast which is the best case scenario for a limb driven style rest but some have over travel so they travel past that and then they return back to the to the resting position and in those cases you're actually adding way more tension on that cord as that bow is shot because the limbs go past their zero like past their home base and when that happens you're doubling down on that pressure smashing down on that rest and that's what causes people to to break them on these bows by me drilling a hole out in that cable splitter on the pse model there's there was more meat there um, they've already been cycle testing it it's totally safe but it's super clean you, there's going to be a hole in there that's perfectly drilled out that you'll uh, put your arrow rest cord you can tie a knot in it and then pull that arrow rest cord through that little uh, cable splitter so that your knot ends up button up to you know the back side of that piece and then with the the long end of your cord you're going to run it up to the rest where it's holding the rest down on the shelf um, the cables don't have near the over travel as the limbs do um, they're just kind of coming forward and it seems like the repeatability of it and the arrow flight that I've been getting has just been even cleaner than what I've had in the past. Um, there's certainly been times where I've had unexplained uh, arrows that got a little bit wild and I haven't um, experienced that yet. So hopefully this is kind of a, a good little system for it. Like I said, I did try it on my Hoyts um, in a couple different manners, and it worked awesome, and the Hoyt guys agreed with me that it, it was working and tuning awesome, but they were more worried about they hadn't tested out that piece with a hole drilled through it, and they were 
wanting to make sure that that wasn't something that was going to fail on somebody. Um, but you should be able to take a look at my posts and kind of see where that is connected behind blue eyes. Uh, if you're not following me on this podcast, uh, next question is Christoph 1904 says I'm a beginner. I got, into my first bow a couple months ago. I'm looking at your releases and wondering if you think it would be better for me to learn the fundamentals and practice with a handheld release just starting out or should I work with the trigger release that I've had for a while? This is one of the things that when I did my podcast with Pete Shepley um, afterwards we kind of went into depth about some of the things that, that are continually hurting archery and one of those things are when people start archery for the first time and you just put a wrist strap around their around their wrist and tell them to just pull back look through the peep sight put the pin on the target and then just just hit that trigger like a you know just like you would on a gun trigger and and you know and have it go off And yeah, some people say put your finger on the trigger and just pull slowly on it. But the reality is our index finger just continually gets us in trouble and starts to anticipate things. Uh, Even the best shooters in the world out there get to the point where you could put a blank cartridge in their gun and you can see that barrel go down as they're grabbing the gun and punching that trigger at the same time. Same is true with archery. Uh, it just seems like the amount of people that I've seen with an index finger trigger that get target anticipation, it just seems like such a high number that I feel like it's just an easy way for us to show people how to shoot archery really fast. Whereas with a handheld release, yeah, there's some there's some more in-depth instruction that you're going to have to get, like... You know, here's how you hold the release. Here's how your hand needs to be. You know, make sure you don't let go of the release because it's not attached to you. Um, Here's how you anchor. You know, here's your thumb position. But honestly, this is like a 10-minute conversation at best to really walk someone through how to use a handheld release. And if you do that, it seems like their fun and enjoyment of archery is way more than when they put a wrist strap on and don't buckle it up with the same length every time and you know they feel different draw lengths at full draw because the release is at different places on the wrist or different tightnesses Um, it just seems so much more consistent and for the long term i feel like learning with a handheld and and doing it that way you're just going to be so much better off if you look at the the competitive archery world and the top archery shooters in the world, the numbers are just so very clear on what a handheld release will do for you for accuracy versus a wrist strap. Uh, the numbers are just not even, they're not even close enough to even talk about. They're so polar opposite of each other between how many people use a handheld in competition archery versus how many people use a wrist strap. Um, I think if you follow the, that same mentality and, you know, try to, try to be the best archer you can be because it's going to make you 
uh, a better bow hunter down the road for sure. Uh, let's see here. Next question is from, my goodness, I don't know how I could pronounce that. It looks like Nino Minado. Uh, what's, what speeds are you getting um, on your current setup, and what are the specs specific to the NTN 33? Um, well, it's 33 axle-to-axle. Um, it's got an Evo cam on it, which is a very forgiving cam and easy cam to operate. The speeds vary depending on what let off setting you have. And with that Evo cam, if you have the high let off modules, you can shoot every, you can shoot a 80, 85 or 90% let off with the same cam by moving the, the, the stopper, uh, peg on the cam. Um, you could also get a low let off module, which will allow you to, to do, um, 65, 70 or 75% let off. Um, the valleys get pretty short on those lower let off mods. Um, but likewise, you know, some of the speeds on there are going to be a little bit higher too. Um, you do change the draw length a little bit and I'm talking like eighth to a quarter inch at most when you do move that peg. Um, you know, like, like I said, from like 85 to 90. Um, so you will actually gain a little bit of draw length. If you go from an 85 to a 90, for example, you might gain an eighth inch to a quarter inch. So your speed will actually go up a little bit just because you're drawing a little bit longer and your power strokes a little longer. Um, the brace height seven axle axle 33. I think the speeds for the most part that I've seen, um, are still in the 320s, even with that brace height. Uh, some people, I guess more than some, quite a few people have stated uh, clearly that on their PSE models, uh, Evo models, that they're getting speeds better than what are rated. And I can tell you that from my perspective, um, I've shot the same draw length for hunting, a 30 and a half inch, uh, shoot a 75 pound bow and my PSE when I set that up it's the first time that I've had to actually move my sight pins uh, on my bow because the speed is faster um, than what I was shooting before so on these sites that I've had for you know 10 to 20 years the sight pin gaps have pretty much been the same all the time but for the first time in a long long time I had to actually tighten up my pins a little bit it's not massive but it is you know it is enough to where you know I'm definitely hitting you know several inches high at like 40 or 50 yards and I did have to make those movements so that's kind of where the specs are falling in the line um the next question I'm looking at here, uh, ready, ready cooked bacon, which is sometimes important to have. Uh, I like it. He's asking, or she, I'm not sure, uh, what is the PSE equivalent to a Hoyt Powermax, their entry-level bow um, that wouldn't break the bank? I don't know the question to that answer, so that's one thing that I need to circle here and find out. Again, I plan on not knowing a lot. 
about the product because the things that I focused on the most was, um, you know, the people behind the company, uh, the main product, which, you know, like I said, the, the high end bows that I got shot awesome. Um, and I'm confident in them as being able to make equipment, you know, here on the, on the front end in that, you know, not super high end market, at least on the aluminum model on the Mach one side. Yeah, that is on the high end. Um, but I definitely do plan on down the road working with a model that's specific to people that are coming into bow hunting and want to have a budget bow and work within reason of being able to offer you stuff at a price to where, you know, you're getting a good setup. It has awesome features, but we're also still being, would be able to make it and have the margins that are needed in order to sell it. You know, that is certainly a plan in the future for right now. I can't really ask that question. The best uh, person to ask would obviously be um, your local, your local PSE dealer. Let's see here. Um, FP image, FP underscore image. Um, what would you consider to be too much shooting? I'm finding that I'm shooting between a hundred and, to 150 to 200 arrows a day and I still want to shoot more yeah that's uh that's awesome dedication too I've I've been there I wish I had the time to shoot that amount every day now if I'm honest but you know as you're well aware it comes down to time and the fact that you're saying you still want to shoot more to me means that you're shooting a setup that's allowing you to do that and that's one of the things that you have to understand is if you are wanting to shoot high reps, then you shouldn't be afraid to shoot lower weight in order to get those high reps. And with anything that you're trying to perfect, um, you know, and I'm just going to use fitness as an example, you know, if I want to um, really work on fine tuning my form and kind of polishing my technique or if you were really trying to work on definition say as a bodybuilder you know you have to have really good technique and really good form and you have to duplicate that a lot so by reducing the weight you're able to make that happen so if you're shooting that much now and you're not finishing your email saying you know I'm struggling with how sore I am or et cetera, et cetera, after shooting every day. The fact that you still want to shoot more to me kind of says that the only thing you're lacking is time more than anything. And I would say it's probably um, an indicator that you're shooting a draw weight that you can manage. So for my indoor setups, and I say indoor because during the winter, you know, right now it's, 10 degrees outside so you're just not going to shoot outside right now in these kind of temperatures so I train indoors and I train at 20 yards because that's how far my range is and I shoot a bow that's normally in the upper 50s to lower 60s for poundage just so that I can focus on high reps with that low weight it you know it just reduces wear and tear and lets me shoot with good technique and good form for the longest amount of time. 
So I think shooting, if you're wondering, you know, what is considered too much shooting, I think too much shooting is when you start to break down and you're, you're imprinting more negative technique than positive technique. Um, I've told people many times that when it comes to practice, if I have the time, if I'm shooting good, then I shoot. If I'm shooting bad, then I'll probably try to finish on a good note, but use that time uh, more wisely in different areas because I don't want to just reinforce poor habits all the time. So if you feel like, well, I want to shoot 200 arrows a day, if you're shooting 100 good arrows and finishing on 100 bad arrows, you're way better off just shooting 100 arrows a day than shooting the 200 because you're ending on a bunch of negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement. And I could tell you that ending on the good note would definitely be more advantageous for you than ending on a negative note. Wet in my throat. If you feel like you need repetition just for the fact of, you know, I don't have the stamina to pull my bow back very much. I haven't shot very long and it's just hard for me to pull a bow back a lot. Then what you may want to do is, you know, shoot on a target while you're shooting solid and while you're, you feel like you're consistent. But once you start to break down, take that sight off get up close to the target and just work on that blank bail execution really focus on pulling through the shot and your follow through and your technique raising your bow up to the target and presenting on the target and drawing back and anchoring properly and looking through that peep sight pulling through the shot you know if you can focus on doing that at the end of your segments even though you're tired and you're maybe moving around more on the target if you're doing that on a blank bail then you're just adding strength in the mix versus trying to hold still, pull through, you're broke down, you're probably not going to be holding still, so you just start to continue to collapse and form, and you really don't want that. You would be better off just ending on a high note, next time in the range, like I said, reducing your poundage, trying to do less weight with more reps. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Hembry underscore outdoors saying, why is my, well, I'm just going to say, why is my SmackDown pro? I won't say the name. Um, adjusting for center shot through paper all the way up to the riser. Um, honestly, that question is really hard to answer by just reading this question because some cam systems and you know honestly if your cams are out of synchronization it could definitely cause this problem if you have a, a clearance issue or let's say you have your vein or your fletching contacting something as it's going forward or um if your arrow rest either isn't getting all the way out of the way or it's slamming down really hard and then bouncing back up, which I call bounce back, if it's doing that and then contacting the arrow as it goes through and kicking this arrow up really high, um, you know, essentially you have like a rebound. It's slapping the riser, it's coming back up, and as it comes up, it hits the tail of the arrow 
which launches it with a high tear through paper. So then you just keep raising your rests and raising your rests and raising your rests. But the reality is that rest is always coming down, slapping, bouncing up, hitting the rear of the arrow and giving you that tear. So even though you keep moving and moving and moving, you still get the same exact result. So um, what you want to do is you need to make sure that you have good clearance. Um, putting some like foot spray on that arrow rest to make sure as that arrow passes by, it's not getting a, a stripe down that foot rest where something's contacting it. Um, or you could put like a little bit of lipstick on your veins and then shoot it through your bow and see if you're seeing lipstick on your, you know, on that arrow rest, uh, whale tail, for example. Um, all that stuff's really important. It's hard to say. The other thing too is some bows that are on the market that just have really poor cam designs, they just don't have the ability to to tune with like a 90 degree knock you know they they have to be knock high all the time where that rest is coming down really low or etc the one thing i will say is what i really like about this setup and what you're seeing me shoot right now is you know a limb driven or in this case a, a cable splitter driven arrow rest what's nice about it is the amount of pressure that you're putting on the cables, it's 100% at the max when it's in a rest position. As you pull back and that, that those cams start to roll up on the cable, those cables start to move up. And as they move up, there gets to be less and less and less weight on the arrow rest. Uh, and the arrow rest comes up. So at full draw, there's no pressure on your cables at all. Your arrow rest is completely up. There's no tension on the on that arrow rest cord versus if you're shooting a cable-driven system, like, you know, like on a SmackDown or something, um, or like a, an original fallaway, uh, when you shoot those cables... Um, they're pulling the rest into an up position as you pull the bow back. And as you draw, it, the cables come further and further back on that slide, and it increases tension on the arrow rest. And if you have that cord too short, you can actually have so much pressure on your cable in order to hold that rest in the up position uh, while you're at full draw that you actually change your cam synchronization, which is one of the downsides of connecting to your cable however the way that i'm doing it right now on a on a limb driven style rest you don't have to worry about that because there's no pressure on your cables when the bow's at full draw versus with an original fall away style rest it would be the maximum amount of pressure on those cables um so those are all things that you could check out and see how they work out Let's see here. Uh, Brian Chandler saying, if someone is interested in bow hunting and archery in general, but doesn't have a huge budget and knows no one who could take them out and teach them, how would they go about starting that process alone? My opinion to you would be, um, if that's the case, I would 
the first thing I would start with would be an archery shop. Um, find a local range, find a you know archery dealer locator, and talk to a shop first. One of the questions that I would ask is, are there any um, hunting bow hunting education teachers that go to the sh- go to the store? Um, because it seems like the people that are truly passionate about growing the sport and really wanting to give back, they're normally going to be instructors, people that are volunteering time. So hunters, safety, uh, teachers, as well as honestly, um, your local game wardens. I've had so many times where I've gone to a brand new area and the first thing I do is, you know, call into the state DNR and say, you know, hey, I'm in, I'm in um, Rockford, Illinois, and I'm brand new to hunting. Can you tell me who my local warden is so that I can talk to him about some things that, that maybe I need to do? And they'll tell you who that person is. And, you know, maybe you can go to a, a hunter safety class that they're teaching or something like that and just ask this exact question. I think you'll be surprised at how many people in shops or how many game wardens out there would would really reach out and give you some valuable knowledge on, you know, even if they're not like, here's what you need to do. They may say, you know what, there's an awesome little archery club 20 minutes away. No one really talks about it. Um, we have one here where I live. When I moved into this town, I was trying to figure out a place to shoot in the winter uh, before I had my range. And someone told me, oh, I think there's a little archery club, uh, you know, right down there. And so I went there and sure enough, I was like, wow, I would have never even known this was here. And met a lot of awesome people and had the ability to shoot indoors. Uh, Definitely got to know some newer people. And, you know, one thing leads to another and next thing you know you have you know a place to hunt or someone that's going to be there as a mentor so i think any of those would be an awesome way to start out with you know some of the simple simple things of you know how do i hunt out of a tree stand well you know let me take you one time you know you can't shoot a buck but um if a doe comes by, I'll let you shoot a doe. And, you know, you need to not say, no, I only want to shoot a buck. You say, wow, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Or, you know, hey, could I just come with you a few times just to kind of see how it all goes down? I don't need to hunt, but I need to learn. So maybe, you know, I could come and and sit with you and have you, you know, teach me something about it. All those are the types of things that could really help you out uh, down the road. Let's see here. Uh, Randy Leninger is asking, can you give a rundown on the pros and cons to a lighter let off versus a heavier let off cam system? Um, Okay, so there's give and take with let off. I can tell you that I love to hunt with higher let off. I can shoot it longer. I can hold back longer. I can feel a little bit um, more comfortable in the pocket. And when I say in the pocket, I'm talking about when I'm at full draw. Um, Because a lot of times when you have higher let off, you'll also have 
what we refer to as a as a a longer valley and so the valley is kind of this this point of when you pull your bow back it gets really hard really hard and then it kind of gets really easy and it stops so the valley is that that distance or that amount of strength or lack of strength that it takes from the bow being at a stopped position to where you're letting up on you're letting pressure off of it and then it finally tries to take it away and that valley right back there on some bows it can be a lot more forgiving than others and and sometimes it's a lot more forgiving than others even when you're comparing one bow with 70% let off versus another bow with 70% let off so when we talk about let off let off is let's just for easy math say that you have a 70 pound peak pulling bow compound bow so that means when you pull it at its hardest point it's going to be 70 pounds but as you get to full draw and the let off happens it lets off um, a certain percentage so if we have a 70 pound bow that has an 80 percent let off you're only going to be holding 20 percent of that pulling weight when you're at full draw because 80 percent of it has been let off so if you have a 70 pound bow at full draw when your bow is stopped and you're just sitting there at the fully extended draw position you're going to be holding 14 pounds you know 20 percent of that 70 is 14 pounds um, and it's going to be easier to hold that weight compared to shooting a 70 pound bow that has let's just say that has a 60% let off bow so instead of you holding 20% of your pulling weight now you're holding 40% of your holding weight and what's going to happen is as you let off any tension on that string it's it's ability to take that string forward out of your hand is is almost double it's going to it's taken double the effort to hold that bow at full draw as it would have if you had that 80% cam. So the pros and cons to let off, and this is something that's argued quite often in the target world, is there's a pretty good argument for if your valley is long and if the time of you letting go of the string and then the string actually taking that arrow away from you and throwing it forward out of the bow if that time is shorter then it gives you the archer less time to make mistakes in technique and form that's going to affect that arrow while it's on the bowstring so a lot of target archers they choose to shoot a lower let off which means they're holding more weight and they're holding harder on the wall they're they're putting more effort into holding it back because the string is wanting to go even 
faster. It's wanting to go right now. And it, it's it's very demanding to hold that in, at a perfectly full draw spot because it just wants to go forward. And what target archers have found is when it's going forward immediately, that string is getting off your face and getting out of the, the bow system faster. So any of your form or, or f- technique flaws that you have between the time of that release coming off your string and the, and the string going forward to when the arrow comes off the string and is now out of the bow, uh, there's just less time for that to happen. But there's a fine, fine line of, and I'm a perfect example of this, I don't really like systems that are that demanding because I feel like being that demanding means I'm more likely to be out of technique and out of form when I let the string go And at that point, I'm out of technique and I'm out of form. So as I'm letting it go, it's going to magnify that. It's going to show that. Versus on a bow that does have a little bit higher let off, I'm able to be more comfortable and more repeatable in my full draw position so that when I do let go of the string, even though that arrow is going to be on the string a little bit longer, I feel like my technique is so much better that it actually makes up for that system that is a little bit more demanding. So the things that you can kind of do there um, that start to kind of balance those pros and cons out are, for me, when I shoot target, a lot of the target bows that I've shot have had a cam that is much more demanding than a hunting style cam. And because I hunt way more than I target shoot, my muscle memory is way more used to a hunting style cam than it is a a target or a more aggressive style cam. Now, full-time target archers are the opposite. They are very comfortable with that aggressive cam because that's all they shoot all day every day they start to build up you know um stamina to that demand uh likewise recurve shooters you know they don't have let off so if you give a recurve shooter a compound bow it it feels like gravy to them because they're used to having something that the further they pull it back the harder and harder and harder and harder it gets and then they have to at its peak difficulty level be able to pull that through a clicker and then activate their shot and let go of the string so with compound archers i personally feel like if you're hunting the majority of the time and if that's the cam that you're used to it's almost a disadvantage for you to try to just pick up a full-blown target bow and go shoot with it if it has a different cam system on it because you're more likely to be out of technique by trying to shoot something that's like demanding an 8 out of 10 for shot technique versus, let's say, a hunting bow that, that demands a 6 out of 10. Um, when I did shoot my target bows, and uh, a month ago you guys saw me shooting a, a green prevail, which is totally a target bow, right? 
Um, I had SVX cams on it, which are a demanding cam with um, a, low, a lower let off module than a hunting setup. The valley was much shorter, probably half the length of my hunting model. So that took an 8 out of 10 every time I pulled it back to be able to make a good shot with that bow. One of the things that helped me, though, was I did shoot about 14 pounds or 15 pounds less pulling weight on that target bow than I did on my hunting bow. And the reason that I did that is because I wanted my feel at full draw to be the same on my hunting bow with higher poundage and higher let off to be the same as that target bow with lower poundage and lower let off. One of the things that I found with archers that really help you be able to mimic your accuracy between a target bow and a hunting bow is trying to find that setup to where your holding weights are the same. I personally find that if I'm not holding enough weight, um, it's certainly easier for me to be almost too weak and too content in my shot to where I move around more. So that's why for me on these, especially the newer style target bows that have uh, higher let offs than in, you know, years past or say 10 years ago, I found that I'm able to shoot these higher poundage bows and be accurate with them even with those high let offs because my holding weights are still very comparable to my target bows with much less pulling weight. The thing that gets hard though is I can't shoot the number of reps with that max pulling weight on my hunting bows as I can with my target bows. And that's a big reason why this next School of Knox series that I'm going to be filming next week actually um, is based around how do I make a, tar a hunting bow target accurate. So it talks about how to make this hybrid and this crossover that allows you to understand, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my hunting bow and instead of me shooting it at 75 pounds, I'm actually going to move this module. Instead of being on 90% let off, I'm going to go to the 80% let off, but I am going to reduce my poundage down. Maybe you even decide to buy some limbs that are 10 pounds less to where instead of you shooting 50 arrows and being burned out, you can now shoot 100 arrows before you're burned out. And then starting to get to understand the difference of, okay, what if I move my my let off from an 80% to a 90%. How does that really change my feel? How does that change the valley? And how does that change my accuracy? Um, and this particular cam system on the Evolve cam on the PSC bows that I'm going to be promoting, I feel like this cam gives you so many options that you're really going to start to put two and two together um, on this question and also more importantly find what combination truly does the most for you and allows you to be the most accurate you can be so hopefully that helps you out randy i appreciate it um knock the freaking arrow i love that that's a sweet uh sweet handle 
Let's see. Can you talk a little more about rocker position with the knock to it and silverback? I hang my ring finger on both releases, and when I try to shoot with two fingers, there's a noticeable difference in the weight distribution between the index finger and middle finger, and where the knock to it knob sits on my thumb. Thanks for all you do. So, uh, this person is speaking specifically about when you hold a handheld release. And let's just, if you aren't familiar with a knock to it or silverback, they're the releases that, you know, we sell at knockonarchery.com. You, if nothing else, look at them. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, Google one quick and look at it. And you'll see that there's a hole in the release, which is where your index finger goes. And then there's an open hole on the other side, which is where your middle finger would go. And you're kind of holding it like a two finger brass knuckle. But there's also like a little partial finger on where your ring finger would either be able to sit up top there on top of it, or you can not put it up there at all and you can kind of let it hang back. But rocker position is if you imagine yourself right now holding that that release or let's just say you're holding a set of brass knuckles if you take your 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 fingers and you kind of curve them around to where you would be holding a set of brass knuckles kind of in your first uh or your middle row of knuckles there not all the way against your fist but in your middle row of knuckles just imagine if you if you tightened up more with your pinky and less with your index finger it would kind of rock it to where let's say the brass knuckles were tailed down uh, meaning they would be lower by your your pinky than by your index finger Um, on the other hand let's say you relax your pinky some but tighten down more with your index finger and more with your middle finger then you're gonna you're gonna rock that thing more towards you right so going to be rocking it closer so that's rocker position and how your weight is distributed on your fingers when holding a handheld release is going to change that rocker position so let's do that same thing right now Um, for those of you who are archers and you actually hold a handheld release before now i want you to do the same thing Take your hand, bend your fingers around to where, you know, your hand's still flat, but your fingers are bent to where the tips of your fingers are kind of touching the calluses of your palm. Okay, in in that position, everything's 100% even. And you can move your thumb slightly towards your index finger. And if you're doing that with a release, you're going to see where your thumb will contact that trigger on a handheld release now if you relax your pinkies and your ring finger and tighten up your index finger what's going to happen is that release is going to rock with its tail coming forward but it's also going to embed that trigger of the handheld release deeper into your thumb or deeper into the pocket of where your thumb connects to your palm If you do the opposite of that and you relax that index finger a little bit and tighten the pinky and the ring finger some, you'll 
you'll move it the other way, right? You'll move it forward. So if you tighten your index finger and middle finger and relax the pinky and relax it, you're going to move it deeper into the thumb. Likewise, if you relax the index finger a little bit more, it's going to move out further on the thumb. So these are really important things to know because that rocker position does change where your thumb barrel is contacting your thumb. And that's really important because your thumb is essentially contacting a lever arm and the lever arm is the trigger. So if you contact that trigger closer to the release, it's going to take more pressure for it to fire. Whereas if you're all the way out on the end of that barrel, you have the most amount of leverage and you're going to feel the, less, the least amount of effort in order to get it to activate. So finding that position where you're in the same spot all the time is absolutely critical for having repeatability on trigger execution or getting that trigger to fire. Now, the one thing that you need to keep in mind and one thing that you can do depending on the release that you're shooting is if you take a piece of D-loop material or if you just hold your bow close to you and clip your release onto uh, the D-loop, you can just take your index finger and your middle finger and you can tighten your middle finger, relax your index finger, and you'll notice that that hook of the release pivots around on the loop and the loop will be closer to one end of that hook. And then if you tighten your index finger and relax your middle finger, it'll allow that that uh, hook to pivot around in that loop and it'll put the loop on the other end of the hook. Now this is important because when a handheld release opens, it's opening from one direction. So if it's opening and you have changed your rocker position to where that D loop is embedded all the way on the far side of the hook, then as that hook opens, it comes off the hook much later than if you're rotated into a position to where it's more on the front side of that hook. So as soon as it's firing and opening up, opening up, it's immediately coming out of there. Now, one of the things that you'll notice with the knock to it is that when you close that jaw around your D loop, you'll notice that the jaw closes and the jaw doesn't close like perfectly flat. It closes on an angle. It's tapered. It closes on a tapered angle. And what that does is that forces that D loop to slide towards the, the downward slope of that taper to where it's always closest to the edge of the hook when it comes open. That way the D loop is leaving that hook without having what we referred to as like a hang fire. And a hang fire is when that D loop is hanging up on whatever's letting it go for long enough to where it changes the path of that string or changes the path of that D loop as it comes off. So these are really important things to understand. There's certainly things that I've done through shooting machines uh, numerous times for tests and 
rocker position 100% has an impact on impact or has an impact on impact uh, it will definitely if you have your hand rocked to one complete side and then rock it to the complete other side it will change how that string is leaving that jaw and it'll change how that arrow impacts downrange on the target but also like in this question from knock the freaking arrow um, it also changes where that thumb barrel is sitting on your thumb itself and you really want to find that position where it's most repeatable and for me if you look at your thumb and you kind of just bend your thumb tip I want the the trigger to sit on the front side of that pivot point on my thumb joint so I want to I don't want it to be sitting perfectly in the middle and I don't want it behind that joint I don't want it from the joint closer to my palm if anything I want it a little bit on the joint maybe 30% in the joint but 60% or 65% of it more favoring my thumb tip you know before it gets to my thumb nail um, because if it's in that pocket there I'm able to pull through with my elbow and my back and get it to activate without having to manipulate my thumb which if it's down in that thumb pocket which some people do, they wrap their thumb all the way deep around that, it gets really hard to get it to activate by pulling and you end up having to make a fist and forcing it to fire. Uh, next question here is from S. Fernity 97 says, what are some major things to bring to tack other than arrows and water? Uh, I'll be at the Seven Springs all four days. So, I can tell you, you definitely have to have a rangefinder. Definitely have a rangefinder that has angle compensation. And if you want to learn more about angle compensation and how those numbers really work, um, you might want to try to, and I'll normally post it, but scroll through my Instagram. And there's been times where I've posted a cut chart. Um, and you can also get a little inclinometer to take out there or you can download an inclinometer app on your phone to where when you're standing at a target you can tip your phone up to the target and it'll tell you the degree of angle up to that target or down to that target and then based on a cut chart you can subtract a certain percentage of the total length of that that target uh, and come up with what you actually need to shoot that target for so let's just say you have a hundred yard target and it's slightly uphill you use your inclinometer and you look at it and you know you find that it's got you know this degree and then you look at your cut chart and it says okay for that degree it's a 10 percent cut so you think right away okay i got to cut 10 percent of 100 so i have to shoot this for 90 yards um, those types of things are so helpful for you understanding how the ballistics of archery work and how shooting from tree stands or shooting in, you know, if you ever do a sheep hunt, if you're doing 
uh, mule deer hunt in the hills, like any of that stuff, it plays such an important part. So I feel like having a rangefinder uh, with something that tells you that because it helps if you think of all the parts of that equation. If you have a good rangefinder that when you range it, it says, you know, 14 degree angle and it'll, you know, the first number will tell you like, say it says 100 and then the next number it'll say 90. It's telling you like shoot it for, it is 100, but shoot it for 90. Um, if you repeat all those things out in your head, you'll slowly start to learn them. You'll think, okay, well, this was the angle of degree, but it was a 10% cut. So that angle equals 10%. Um, and you'll slowly start to learn those. Um, the other thing is make sure you have a level in your sight and make sure that level has been properly adjusted for second and third axis because you're also going to learn very quickly at attack event how shooting up and downhill, how that affects the arrow. And it's going to be really important that you figure that out. Um, good pair of binoculars, definitely important. Um, also a good pair of uh a good pair of shoes that's important as well um i travel pretty light to shoots if i'm honest with you i'll normally have a water bottle in my pocket um definitely need a good range finder good pair of glass make sure your bubbles on and other than that i think that's about it you know focus on the fundamentals and you'll have a really good time. Uh, next question here is Brad Lurowist is asking when are new arrow wraps coming? New arrow wraps were approved today. There's going to be several new styles coming. Um, they're really cool. I don't want to give away what I did with them, but I made a new arrow wrap design and we kind of came up with six variations of that design that's going to be really helpful for all of you at-home arrow builders. So if you're going to start doing your own arrows or if you have been doing them, but you want like kind of these little built-in cheat codes, uh, I've got a really cool set of arrow wraps coming that's going to you know, really have some, some easy cheat codes for you for like fletch positions, um, then also for... Um, you know, uh, predetermined marks for trimming them off. If you wanted to go to a, a shorter vein than, uh, than say a max stealth. And then also there's a couple things coming, uh, lens dots. Um, these are all things that, that I've done that are new products coming soon, but we haven't been able to take photos and film a video yet and all that stuff to show you how to use them, which is important for our website. Um, I've got custom lens dots based on the colors that you've seen that I used to do with using like model paint and pens. I've actually got um, lens dots that are that are pre-done with the exact types of um, contrasting colors that I used to shoot with that are coming. Um, also, we're going to be uh, very soon selling fletching jigs. These jigs are going to have their bits and burgers and every single one um, we've actually pulled out and preset to the exact 
offset or helical that I personally use um, so that you'll be able to take these out of the box and every single one is set up for the exact degree that I shoot. Um, they were all done uh, by using um, a fixture that we had to make them all the same and also down the road in the future as we're doing pre-fletched arrow sets for you if you buy those but then choose to do your repairs or do extra ones down the road in your own presets you'll be able to buy one of these clamps and they'll be set up to the exact fixtures what we use here uh, so that'll be cool and then also I do have um, a set of knock-on sight scales coming um, pre-calibrated sight scales on vinyl so these are all things coming up here within the next several weeks uh, that'll be available as well uh, let's see here let's see will you be able to talk more openly this is from max reps 623 will you, will you be able to talk more openly about likes and dislikes about other bows um, to be honest with you I can I definitely have the ability now to speak more openly about that I do plan on inviting uh, more people um, to be able to talk about that. Um, I actually talked with, with Hoyt at the ATA show, um, talked with Matthews at the ATA show, um, talked with, with Matthews about, um, you know, doing kind of a, a bow setup type, uh, type thing with, with one of their staffers and also, you know, being able to do a walkthrough and a build for that, um, also talked about uh, doing a podcast here down the road with Matt. Uh, Matt and I haven't sat together in probably, I don't know, a decade or more. So uh, definitely want to have uh, Matt here for an icon series down the road, which I look forward to. And then, you know, I told the Hoyt guys, hey, you're like, it's not like you never haven't been, but you are welcome to to come on the podcast and, and talk archery. So please come, uh, for some reason they never were able to, to do it because I'm not really sure why, but, um, I would love for that to happen. But the reality on that question too, is I'm probably less likely to talk about things that I dislike more so than, Oh, that's really cool. I like that about this bow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to talk about things maybe I don't know I'll have to navigate that delicately because I don't want to come off as as like bashing anybody by any means there's certainly pros and cons to to several different uh bows that are out there you know and depending on those types of things I guess I try my best to not be negative within the industry so I will do my best to word it in a way to where hopefully you can read between the lines and understand things that I like or things that maybe you might be able to find better somewhere else, but without, you know, coming down on anybody for sure. Um, let's see. Oak Ridge Outdoors. Um, can you talk about your new stabilizer? Also a while back you were in the process of strings. Gosh, number one, Number one questions. Um, so stabilizers are, we're waiting on, uh, I think the only thing we're waiting on maybe is is 
packaging or something. Um, so yeah, stabilizers are going to be very soon. Um, I'm promised that they're going to be within the, within the month. Once those happen, um, you guys will be the first to know, obviously they're going to first be available through knockonarchery.com and we'll, you know, see how the demand is on the front end and whether, you know, if we end up becoming back ordered right away it's kind of hard to offer them through stores however if we if we get to the ability where we're able to keep up with demand then yeah that is something that i've talked with uh pse about making available with the nation bows um same thing with the elevate rests um i really want all of you out there to have the ability to set up a bow exactly like i'm shooting because it's you know i'm going to do that um in regards to the stabilizer i've this has been a two-year project, maybe not quite two years, but a year and a half. I really wanted a stabilizer to where when you put it on, you definitely notice a difference in how your bow felt and how your bow sounded. Um, there were some challenges to work through. There were two different types of materials that I really wanted to have combined together. Um, and when you combine those two together, cosmetically, there were problems um, so we worked through all those and got to the got to the to the point where now we're able to have something that a hunter can have on their bow and it's not you know shiny and and uh, you know half black and half white. Um, so it's it's more or less two different types of materials that are blended together that both um, they both dissipate different types of frequencies through your bow. Um, in regards to the actual carbon shaft itself. And then in regards to the suppression, the, um, I went ahead and, and licensed and bringing back the A-bombs that Doinker made. Um, so I licensed Doinker, and then also we have license with Sims for an end cap. So you literally have Doinker material, Sims Navcom, and then two proprietary um, weaves, for the rod that are going to give you just an awesome stabilizer going to offer it in a limited range based on the sizes that i prefer no surprise there uh 8 10 and 27 and 30 uh so once they'll come standard with three ounces of weight on there you'll be able to buy extra weights uh the weights have been designed to 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 fit a perfect match with the um, the neck down on the, on the, the rod, or I should say the collar or the cap tube. And then also it'll join up flush with the A-bombs. Uh, and by the time you stack those, by the time you have the A-bomb on there and the weights and the end cap, you're going to have a stabilizer that's probably two inches longer than that. So I really feel like those two lengths are perfect for not only hunters but also hunters that like a little bit longer rod and the longer i should say the longer short rod is also i think personally long enough as a side rod or a v-bar rod uh, for any type of target setup let's see here um have you found have you found the new bows easy to tune a few years back i found that the pscs were very finicky hope they've gotten better um so I agree there was a time where I definitely wasn't favorable to a cam system that especially the when they really went down the speed path 
Um, and I've found that this isn't just PSE. I can tell you right now, I've never been a turbo cam uh, fan. I've never been, when I was with Matthews, I was never a fan of the Black Max. You know, I just feel like whenever there's there's like an initiative to speed, it's just like having a fast car that just... You know, you get a car that's just super fast and has a ton of horsepower. They're just there's a lot of things that start to come loose, and a lot of things you have to know about tuning and all that. I've just, I just know that a few years ago, friends that I really trust, when they started shooting the Evolve cam system, they told me that this was the best PSC they've ever shot. They told me I really need to give it a try. Um, and likewise, you know, there's people on like the Botex side, you know, in recent years, they've made big changes. And if you said like, uh, you know, how do you like, you know, years back I had a Botex and, you know, hated how it felt or whatever. It's like, this is a whole different thing. Um, it's a completely different system than it was then. So, um, I personally have only moved my arrow three times out of the five or six bows that I've set up. All of them are just, I'm eyeballing these things down the riser the same way I would, you know, before just looking at where the string and, and cam tracks are lining up down the riser and I'm moving my center shot to that position, lining it through the center of the grip and shooting. And I've had awesome tunes. My honestly, I know that you probably hear this all the time, but my groups downrange and repeatability downrange at 80 and 100 yards were the best I've had in a long time um, to the point where I'm like, I'm not shooting this good, so is this a fluke that I don't feel like I'm executing my shot this good, but they're still going in there. But honestly, I did it for enough time to where I'm like, no, it's just, forgiving and like i said a big part of that is string angles a longer brace height uh let off you know that longer that longer valley that i like i think all of that is factoring in so you know just get out there and shoot it they'll be in they'll be in shops if your shop doesn't have one or if you want to make sure they do you know pse isn't making shops take 100 bows Call your local shop and say, hey, is there any way you can get in a knock-on nation from PSE? And they can call and order one. Get one in there and, and give it a try. Just make sure they're comparing apples to apples. You know, if you're shooting if you're shooting a 60-pound a bow and a 600-grain arrow, you know, don't let them give you an 80-pounder with a 300-grain arrow. And that goes for any bow. Just make sure you're always comparing apples to apples. Um Let's see. Will the secondary lower location for the stabilizer be in the production bows, or did you find they didn't help enough to keep them? So on the Nation version of the Evo, the lower stabilizer hole has been removed. I removed it. I didn't find – I didn't like having my stabilizer that low. I liked my stabilizer where I was used to it, below my hand. I didn't want it that low. And because I removed it, I was able to add that material back into the riser and utilize that to tap out for the kickstand feature. So it was give and take. Um, so no, if you are set on having a lower stabilizer hole um, and 
you know, granted, you got to keep in mind, there used to be two on the Evo models. There were two. There's one in a standard location and one down by the lower limb cup. Um, I removed the lower limb cup one just because I didn't like having a stabilizer there. Um, and we used that that space that I pretty much filled back in in order for me to put the kickstand feature in. Uh, let's see here. Can you explain explain peep sizes? The last question was from CA underscore 147. Um, the PSE tune question was from Tap Rack Ben. Um, then let's see. The last question here of the day is unrolled CA. Um, he's saying, can you explain peep sizes and what we should be seeing through the peep? One eighth feels too small and three sixteenths feels too large. So yeah, the, you need to have a peep that's big enough for a hunting situation for you to gather light without you having to not be able to see through it. You also want a peep size that matches the diameter of your front sight pin housing. So this is where having a site that does have a dovetail and the ability to move close or move further out, this is where it does have a purpose. So let's just say with your 316ths, it seems too large because when your site's extended all the way out, you, st you see all this daylight around your front sight pin. So in that case, bring it closer to your riser so that even with that 3 peep that is a, a large diameter, which is good for hunting, you're moving your sight closer. And as you move it closer, it is going to appear to get bigger and it'll fill in that daylight that's around it. But you definitely want a peep sight that gives you just a perfect eclipse of the front sight housing. Um, now, as we move into taking our hunting bow and make it target accurate, yeah, I, one of the things is going to be going from a, a multi-pin aperture or a large aperture down to a smaller aperture. So we're going to talk about how, you know, how you can reduce not only your peep size, but also reduce your front housing in order to match that reduction in peep size. So that's the podcast, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining in. Next podcast is going to come up here pretty quickly. I did do a podcast at the ATA show with my good buddy, longtime friend from South Africa, Seppi Siliers. Um, I didn't want to put that podcast up before I actually did my own podcast pre, uh, post ATA show, but that will be the next podcast in line. I think you'll enjoy some of those stories and yeah, big podcasts coming down the road. We're now nose to the ground, full steam ahead. The cat's out of the bag and I'm ready to start ramming content. So thanks everybody for listening. Make sure you tell your friends if you like what you're having to hear. So knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com